At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, for a very special edition, a WWE Q4 2021 preview. And we are joined today by a, a WrestleNomics aficionado, uh, a, a well-known member of the post-wrestling universe. I, I decided we were going to do a mad money version of, of WrestleNomics today, so of course I had to turn to our friend. MJ from NJ. Welcome. Brandon, this is a bit of a dream come true to join you here. Long time yes. listener and uh, very happy to get to chop, talk shop with you and, and discuss WWE earnings and the business and the year that was and the year ahead. Yes. I I, I figured I would troll you with a, a, a mention of your, your favorite Jim, Jim Cramer. Uh, I chose to ignore that. Thoughts thoughts on Jim Cramer <laughs> and his, uh, his many takes. Jim Cramer is a heck of an entertainer, a heck of a showman. <laughs> he would do very well in the world of professional wrestling. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, as with all um, mass-consumed personalities, there's only so much authenticity to really get through. Yeah, surprising he, he never turned up as like a, a, a member of the NBC Universal family too, right? Surprising he never turned up as like a guest of, of Raw um, in, the, in the guest host uh, Raw era. But... Uh, he went where they were giving away a million dollars an episode and, and things like that. Yeah, no, he's part of CNBC, owned by NBCU. Um, I see, because I've seen BC on all day, I see a number of uh, ads promoting WWE and Peacock really? and WWE on Peacock. And wow. I don't know if that's because of my habits of viewing TV, like through Hulu and Roku, or if it's because it's through CNBC. I imagine it's a combination of both. You can watch CNBC through that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Most live TV is through Hulu Live. Um, Hulu has live sports okay. and uh, YouTube TV as well. And those are things that, as you talk about ratings, I constantly wonder um, in the broader media landscape is, the, you know, how did they get all the rights for this live programming? Uh, YouTube yeah. TV and, and Hulu. Hulu, we know, but YouTube TV accumulated quite a bit of live rights. Yeah, because I have Sling and I have basically all the NBC Universal channels, but not CNBC. 
Otherwise, mm. I, I've, I've, because I've, you've DM'd me sometimes and been like, Christine Salen's on CNBC, and I'll be like, let me get my sling. I don't have CNBC on there. So that's the one channel I uh, Laura, Laura, Laura Martin. I, I usually meet him. Yes, she's on there often, right? Um, yes. The, and your the, friend, uh, Brandon. Brandon Ross of Lightshed. I'm sure Rich Greenfield is on there all the time, right? Yes. Yes. So do, do you want to tell people who don't know a little bit about your background? Why, why you're a person who's really taught me a lot about the stock, the stock world and so forth. Sure. So first and foremost, my interest in the stock market is purely um, for my own personal interest. I do work for a wealth management firm and I am not myself a financial advisor. I'm not registered. I just, yeah, someone once told me, know enough to be dangerous. Uh, I work in corporate finance uh, on the corporate side of that business. So I'm always interested in the WWE earnings and getting under the hood on terms like EBITDA and adjusted EBITDA. And prior to doing this, which I've done for the last 10 years, I actually started out my career in investor relations and media relations, working for a financial service consulting firm. Once upon a time, I wrote Q&A samples and media relation, how you would handle certain questions, crisis communications. So I'm always looking at the WWE corporate speak through a different lens than I think most of uh, wrestling fans. Put those two things together, and I have a deep love for WrestleNomics, the work that you do, Brandon. Um, but this is actually something that goes back, and I mentioned this on my Postmarks episode. Uh, my first college year, I did a case study on WWE from a PR standpoint, like just their communications to different audiences, investors, fans, business partners. So this is something that goes back a long time now. Okay. We should probably note this podcast is not investment advice, nor should be construed as such. These are just our opinions. I'm, I've never been a stockholder or held any kind of position. I don't even understand how stock options work. You've tried to explain it to me. I've still failed to understand, but uh, you sometimes play in W stock. I, I sometimes play in WWE stock options. I've not owned stock since 2019. Uh, I exited after the CF, the co-presidents exited. So I disclosed that I used to be an investor and now I like to dabble in the options market, which are for layman's terms, think about it as bets on the future. Will the stock go to a certain price by a huge future date? Um, for me, it's a way to be able to have a little live action on a company that I follow pretty regularly, but not recommended for investments. This is purely speculative in nature. A sophisticated form of gambling, someone once told me. As I've said, yes. Yes, I think I once said that. Um, and that is how I view it and how I would suggest anybody else listening view it unless they are well-informed and educated on options. They're quite dangerous. And I say that because in today's market, it is um, a, a thing that has exploded in volume, is the use of options by people not familiar with them. So this is something I do. Like I said, I know enough to be dangerous. Um, and that is my exposure to WWE. I will also say I currently am sitting in a call option uh, with a $65 strike. So I am expecting some good news in this upcoming earnings. But again, it's fine. Oh, it, it would be referred to as a $65 strike. So I'm looking for the stock to, to move towards the $65 range as of a certain okay. date in the future. And uh, for anybody who's curious, just in the interest of full disclosure, these are all the companies that I'm long on. And I'm much poorer than I was a few weeks ago. Apple, Netflix, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Roblox, Airbnb, Spotify, Snapchat, AMD, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, Sony, TSMC, Coinbase, Autodesk, C, Take-Two Interactive, which is a WB 
partner with their video game, their console game, Alibaba, Unity, PayPal, Square, Cloudflare, Intel, Fastly, and Immersion. For pure transparency, I will say I am also, uh, I also have positions in Discovery and in Sinclair Broadcasting, which I think are important for the context of this podcast as a media podcast. Yes. Sinclair is the parent company of Ring of Honor, as probably most people listening know. And uh, Discovery will merge with Warner Media, which is uh, AEW's broadcaster. The WQ1 earnings call, it'll be covering Q1, the period, or I'm sorry, Q4, covering the period of October, November, and December, October 1st through December 31st. That's on Thursday. At the close of the market, they used to do these at 11 a.m. Used to do calls at 11 a.m. Not anymore. That was in the George Barrios days. But now, uh, ever since uh, George Barrios has been gone, they've been doing the earnings calls and the release of the documents also just after the close of the market. So at about 4.30 p.m. on Thursday, they will update this uh, this website, the WB uh, investor relations website, corporate.w.com. They will update a few of the documents that you can find over here on the right-hand bar, the trending schedules, the key performance indicators. They'll send out an earnings press release. Um, and then at five o'clock, they will do a earnings conference call with Vince McMahon with four executives, Vince, Stephanie, Nick Khan, and the new permanent CFO. He was the interim CFO in the past, uh, Frank A. Riddick III, who up until now has been a member of the board of directors as well. I'm curious if Michael White's replacement or, or new, the new Michael White's will speak and whether or not he will give an introduction of himself or herself. I'm not, I believe it's a gentleman. Um, it, there, it, there is new, new people in the investor relations department. Yes. Seth Zaslow. So I was, is the- yes. And I was just curious whether or not that individual would speak, given that they have a pretty extensive background in, uh, media relations IR. Th- that's a good point. So I, I imagine since he's taking over Michael White's job, Michael White's is staying with WB, but he's doing a different job. Um, I would imagine it's going to be Seth Zaslow that's going to be talking in the usual Michael White's spot where he's going to introduce the call, read the forward-looking statement, um, and then he will end the call. His role aligns a lot with how Nick Khan has spoke very recently about positioning the company for dealing with media partners um, having this feeling of in the, in the past, maybe they referenced that happy to be there, but now they're taking a much more aggressive position. And I looked through uh, Seth's background at AMC, and I think that he probably is somebody that's much more aligned with Nick's vision of what they're trying to present, uh, not just to business partners, but the investor community as well. So that was the person I was thinking whether or not that they would speak um, just in Michael's role. But just highlighting his background um, in the media space, I thought was very interesting. I, I did ask a, a few people when that press release came out announcing that uh, Seth Zaslow was uh, joining and, and taking over Michael White's spot. If you, I asked a few people who are who are analysts or who are investors in WWE if they thought it was a big deal that this is happening, and they mostly said that it was you know generally no, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could tell us what. What does it mean when there's a change in investor relations or what does investor relations do and why why this is an important announcement? There's a bunch of different functions the investor relations department would provide. And looking through here, it looks like Michael Weiss will still retain a large function uh, in the finance department. Uh, my view and my read on this, and 
maybe it will not be meaningful, but they are the the communications arm, the liaison to the investor community. They are the ones out there fielding investor questions. They're the ones out there putting together the presentations that we used to see more regularly at the business conferences. And that is a role that I think is something that WWE is in need of because they've definitely lost, in my view, investor trust or that they've had hiccups with the investor community. So a refresh there, to me, more than anything, signals a new approach or a fresh, a fresh look at how to attract new investors and also satisfy those that uh, still are with the company. When you say the WWE's done things to lose investor trust, what, sure. what are those things? Well, I, as an investor, prior to the co-presidents being released with no real succession plan or for, for warning of this, which I found to be unusual at the time, uh, definitely felt burned by the lack of communication, the lack of a plan put forward by an investor relations team or by management. I think about the most recent um, settlement with the investors, the class action lawsuit, and I think that probably left a sour taste in people's mouths, just the fact that it got to that point around the um, you know guidance that was or was not given. But I do believe there was a settlement there, Brendan. And yes. you know, even just this year, and we'll get over, we'll go over this, but Vince was very, very high on his team at the beginning of the year. And by the last earnings call, released the CFO. And I will just say, as somebody that has been invested in WWE, thinks about getting back into WWE, um, these are unsettling things for a a public company to be doing reoccurringly, I will say. The fact that it seems to be a reoccurring theme with them, that there's not stability is, uh, you know, I think that erodes investor confidence. Yeah. And and just for some background on a few things you mentioned. So I think I just realized we're almost two years to the day that the co-presidents, now former Mm -hmm. co-presidents, now leaders in the bowling space, George Barris and Michelle Wilson were uh, terminated as co-presidents. And the class action lawsuit was a shareholder's lawsuit uh, that has been settled. Uh, WWE doesn't pay anything directly related to that settlement. Their insurance covers it, but it's, it's over allegedly misleading statements that W executives are alleged to have made regarding the Middle East, North Africa TV deal. That was basically, they suggested that they were, they had an agreement in principle, but that, you know, but that was not completed yet. And their financial guidance was contingent on the completion of that TV deal. That TV deal never got done. The TV deal still has not gotten done. Uh, There's all sorts of drama in, in the complaint, including, you know, disagreements between Mohammed bin Salman and Vince McMahon, supposedly, and uh, discussion of, of the the uh, stranding of talent in Riyadh for the, um, the the October 2019 Saudi show. So you want to talk over this, uh, the many audiences of WWE? Yeah. So um, I, I had mentioned on my postmarks, for those who have heard it, that I believe that there are many audiences of WWE and that we as fans look towards um, the product in one way that is not aligned with maybe the other audiences uh, when I'm not discussing this with you. Uh, We care about the product more than we care about the financial results, although there has been an increase in curiosity in the financial results. And Brandon, I think you've economic justice is the the phrase that you have coined for this. Um, So that that box is currently an X, but I think there's more interest than ever. You've internalized the WrestleNomics propaganda very well here. Uh, I was trying to stay on brand. Yes. Um, the investing community, which probably does not care about the product, but cares very much and only about the financial results. And then there's everybody else that I think cares about both things, though not all the same and maybe not all partners. 
And you have the last group there, which is the talent. And what, you know, they are an audience. They are a key constituency for the WWE, whether they realize that or not, because they are, in fact, part of the product. Uh, it does not mean that all audiences are viewing, you know, the product with the same interest. Advertisers care about the return on investment for their advertisements. The business partners care about the ratings and the rankings and key demos. Ultimately, whatever product delivers that, they care about, maybe differently from how we view creative and how talent is used. Uh, so I thought this would demonstrate that a bit. Um, and, and I put together a little bit on the investors as well, the investor types for those unfamiliar. Yes. What is the difference between an active and a passive investor, a growth and a value investor, or an index and, or th thematic funds? These are foreign terms to me. Okay. So uh, we'll start with the last one, index and thematic funds. And these are um, more common uh, you can think of ETFs, mutual funds, that simply track a trend or an industry. Um, there are a lot of popular new tech thematic funds being created that follow the EV space. You get all your EV stocks, all your electric vehicle stocks in one fund now. Uh, likewise, you have these in the gambling space. Uh, the Roundhill Sports Betting uh, Bets ETF tracks DraftKings, MGM, as well as other companies related to that space. I list that here because, to my knowledge, I've not seen WWE appear in any media uh, index fund, though I believe that these are going to be more popular in the future as the metaverse and as media content really explodes. The difference between a value and growth investor, a value investor is looking for a company that is underperforming in the stock market compared to what their financials may be telling them. There is value to be had there. So in the past, Brandon, where you have thought maybe that WWE seems to be undervalued to what their potential earnings are going to be, that would appeal to a value investor. A growth investor is an investor chasing the high growth companies or just growth companies in general, where revenues are compounding, uh, consumer usage is compounding. So you can think about like a Twitter or a Snapchat or a Netflix as high growth type companies. And there are investors chasing the growth because of the potential upside that they um, exhibit. And we saw that over the last two years where companies like Zoom and Peloton really performed well because of their potential for massive growth. The um, Was there another one there? Passive and active, you would ask yes. us about real quick. Yes. Passive are investors that are just making an investment and they don't plan on trying to, um, they don't plan on trying to promote change. So you see more activism when it comes to companies that are not performing well. There's believed to be ways to to enhance the company's uh, overall value. I guess if, if I think about the other companies in the wrestling industry, if AEW is a new company, would AEW fit? AEW is obviously not a publicly traded company; it's a private company. Would AEW fit the profile of a growth company? It would, in my opinion, because they are a company that has a lot of growth ahead of them, and I would. They compounding growth, upside growth, right? Their next television deal should net them 2x, 3x, 4x what they're currently maybe getting. I'm speculating, of course, but that would be the kind of growth I'd be looking for as a growth investor, as well as I look at their consumer metrics. And if we just want to isolate ratings alone, their ratings from the beginning have grown. They are showing the ability to attract a new audience and engage more consumers. And I would argue that that make them a growth company opposed to a company that is either seeing attrition or seeing stagnation that is looking to generate its revenue without necessarily growing uh, through the traditional means as we think of growth. 
And then I guess the difference there between WWE and AEW would be that WWE is this much older company. Its value is more realized than AEW's would be, mainly because in the case of AEW, they're only, it's depending on how you want to frame it, they're only in their first TV contract. I know they got the upgrade in January 2020, but it's still sort of their first round of TV rights fees. And I, I would make the argument that they're at least relative to, to WWE, if you look at the the revenue that they're getting per viewer hour compared to WWE, it's some, it's a difference of something like seven times. Um, so they seem understandably undervalued and understandably in you know it's sort of in store for them that they're going to get a big upgrade if things if the if the way that things are today continue to be the way that things are uh, in the year or two years from now. Uh, when they might be making a new TV deal. Absolutely. And, and to be very clear, neither one is good nor bad. They are just two fundamental different ways that people approach investments. There are value managers, there are growth managers. These are um, the yin and the yang of the market. So to put one in one category and one in the other is not a good or bad. And there are many aspects in which WWE could be viewed as a growth company as well. I think what you said, Brandon, is absolutely right. Their value has been more realized and they've been a public company for over 20-something years. So, of course, they would have realized more of the potential growth out there. And they also see major headwinds that can continue to make them a growth company, tailwinds that make them a growth company. So Vince McMahon, on April 22nd, 2021, that's the Q1 earnings report. So not quite a year ago. Nick Khan and Christina Stalin came on in August 2020. So they had been with the company for a while now. And... uh W was coming out of COVID, so Vince said at the time, even though we're still dealing with COVID nearly a year later. But these were Vince McMahon's comments at the time. Once we felt secure, we then saw this as an opportunity to rethink the way we do business and open what I call the WWE treasure chest. The only way you can do that is have the best management team in WWE history. We have that team. A team that's innovative, a team that drives revenue and has reorganized our company in a far more efficient way to take advantage of new revenue streams, new online platforms, new consumer products, new content creation, and new opportunities to expand our media rights portfolio on a global basis. Um, I'm always excited about our business. I don't think I've ever been as excited as I am now. That was Vince McMahon and his very brief comments. I think we just listened to most of what he had to say on that earnings call before he handed it off to Nick Khan. Do you think he wrote that? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> he did not sound to enjoy reading it. I think... And I bring that up for a very specific reason, because again, as an investor that would tune in, him not sounding enthusiastic makes it hard for me to sound enthusiastic, though the message delivered is quite on point for, I think, at the time, the, the earnings call in April. But, it, you know, listening to it back here made me made me think that. I think he sounded happy. I mean, Vince is Vince and Vince, you know, sounds more and more grovelly as uh, as time goes on. But I don't I, I thought sure. he was um, I thought that was relatively enthusiastic to Vince. I think he was sincere. I think he believed what he was saying as far as being at least in the Nick Khan side of that. I mean, he did he did fire Christina Salem, the CFO, uh, several months later. But uh, I mean, I. I I, I think 
he's really happy and secure having Nick Khan there. I would agree. I think the part that may, maybe that he, you know, when he talks about new revenue, how excited he is about everything that's new in that statement versus how much he would like the team to handle what's new. But we know with him, it's about control and it is a lot of new stuff and we'll get into it over the course of the year, but it's a lot of new stuff that they introduced in strategies and revenue streams. Um, it's a lot for him. I guess as far as, far as growth, I mean, I, I see Nick Khan is somebody who seems like the the best possible person to, um, or at least among the best possible people to give him the kind of security that he needs. And he's able to, I'm sure he doesn't view it this way, but I view it this way that he's able to do whatever he wants to in creative, which is doing the kind of creative product that, that pleases himself and that validates his vision of, of his business, which is pro wrestling. And he's, he's, especially with the changes in NXT, he's able to sort of double down on that. And whether or not that's driving fan interest, it's he's able to, with his business, uh, ensure that he has somebody who's going to be able to negotiate favorably media rights deals for him, both domestically and internationally, and whatever opportunities there are for streaming. And then there's this kind of incremental, all these incremental deals that they can do. That they seem to announce one every, every now and then, whether it's trading cards or there's... There's some experimenting happening with NFTs. Some of it, some of it, okay. Some of it didn't go well. Credit card partnership. Credit cards, Brandon. Capital One credit cards. Uh, lotter scratch off lottery tickets was the latest. So there's those things, and the next day TV rights, or I should say, I don't know, streaming rights. I guess they are that are currently held by Hulu. Yeah, I, I guess my point is I don't see Vince being the one in the room or spearheading those initiatives. I believe those are other people. Whereas I would think once upon a time, he probably was spearheading a lot of initiatives that were brand new um, for the company. Uh, I think that's natural with the evolution of both the company and with his age and what he's what he's focused on. Um, but it is something I think about in terms of, you know, he's 70 plus years old managing this company, running this company. Um, so I do think about that. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, I, I think Vince has not done a good job as head of creative and that's created a lot of that's created an opportunity in AEW that if if I, I believe if they weren't doing a lot to turn off their fans and their talent that that a, the AEW opportunity wouldn't exist. And you can say all that and you can bury Vince as, as a creative mind at this point, but the decision that he made about two years ago to no longer do the direct to consumer W network that was clearly his decision because that was the the direction that Barrios and Wilson were going the former co presidents. Um, Barrios wanted to tier the network and do a premium tier that would have been $15 or $20 or who knows what, maybe there've been multiple tiers. Um, and that was his own, I mean, ultimately it was his decision. I don't know who else was, you know, advising him, but that was the right move to make. I think if, if Barrios was, was still a co-president and Wilson was still the co-president, they would be doing a premium tiered network now. And I don't think that that would be generating as much revenue for them over the five years of the Peacock deal as the Peacock deal is. So while I can bury Vince uh, as head of creative, it, it feels like in the the wide vision of the strategic, you know, the business strategy of WB, he still seems to be doing an okay job uh, on the corporate level, even though I it, it seems to me that the majority of his time and energy 
I'm sure it's in many places, but he's going into, into creative where I, you know, I think he's doing an abysmal job, but as a, as a person overseeing the strategy, he seems to be doing okay. I think he oversees the strategy. Well, I think Nick is the absolute perfect person in the right seat for this company for Vince. I think Nick is of the stature that Vince probably trusts him uh, blindly to a degree. And (laughs) I think Stephanie is, I think Stephanie in a position to really take on a lot of those strategies and and we'll get into partnerships and sponsorships and everything they've done this year. But she feels the WWE vision strategy um, while Vince is the head of creative and likely will be for the foreseeable future. I, I've called these Nick Khan podcasts. These are not just earnings calls for the for investors. These are Nick Khan podcasts for the media world, for him to uh, pontificate on the, the media business, to educate these stock analysts who write the reports, to give them the education that they need about the media business. Um, but it really, and he's broken some news sometimes. I mean, it, it was it was Nick Khan. It was not any, any, any journalist who broke that the N- NBCU and NHL relationship was coming to an end. Uh a few quarters ago. So uh, thoughts on that. Yeah. Like I said, he's the perfect person. He really has a mass space. Um, the word subject matter expert comes to mind. He really understands that media landscape, the ecosystem, the talent side, the the, the studio side, the, the TV partner side, uh, knowing what he's done in the past and who he's represented. He's been nothing short of successful all, every step of the way. Um they're must listen. Yeah, you summed it up best. They're, they are Nikon podcasts. They are must listen if you are interested in the media industry and the sports media specifically. Uh, but a fascinating person to listen to on these calls. A real, uh, a nice refreshment to the uh, to the call each quarter. And uh, WD's talked a lot about uh, and has made deals, not just talked, but actually has made deals uh, that go beyond the ring with the uh, the biography series that they did with A and E. It's not clear if there'll be another round of that. They did hold back the uh, the Lex Luger documentary and the um, is it Vlad the Superfan documentary that were advertised to to premiere on the W Network, but never did. Uh, maybe those are things that are being held back for for content uh, distribution opportunities like the Annie biography series, uh, the Hidden Treasure series too, which was also on Annie. But uh, WWE is doing a a documentary based on the life of Vince McMahon. Uh, Executive produced by Bill Simmons, uh, they've rolled out these Ringer podcasts. I don't know if it if it fits in here. Maybe it does. It's not media, or maybe it is media. I don't know. But, I, but I'm hearing that the W is talking about outsourcing its live event capabilities to other uh, you know enterprises in 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 live events and maybe concerts or who knows what. I imagine it's like they they're going to go and, and produce uh, for the Trans Siberian Orchestra when they come to your town or something. I don't know. Trans Siberian Orchestra probably has all, is probably all set. But things like that. It it sounds like they're at least considering and that's something that I would watch for them uh talking about if not on this call then maybe soon. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very curious what that may lead to. I I bet they learned a lot from doing that, that went into doing those kind of events. Uh, I think probably much more tech focused than it had been in the past. They probably learned a lot about how to stage these kind of events with efficiency. And I think they had probably had to find cost reductions. And once you find that, then you can scale it. So that, that was probably very, uh, it could be very valuable for them going forward that they had the time with the Thunderdome. Integrated brand partnerships. Yeah. This is, this is Stephanie McMahon's world where she will talk in this earnings call on Thursday. She will probably have a, a, a good five, 10 minute segment. So she has spoken about zombies. She's yes. spoken about the Pizza Hut partnership. 
And I think this call, they talk about the Netflix partnership with the egg at Survivor Series, which took place in Q4. And uh, I'll leave some speculation for the end, but I think that we're going to get a focus on their integrated partnership with Netflix this call. That is a prediction for me. Um, part of the reason I put this together, I'd highlight that this is a story they've been telling throughout the year. So this ultimately, here we get to the Q4 earnings call. It's going to be the year end call. And how have they done? And I think sponsorships and the integrated brand partnerships is an area that you could really check the box and say, job well done. I think they've reported growth in the area. I think they've installed or activated, as they say, upwards of 20, and I imagine now maybe even more integrations. And if that is a new initiative that is under uh, Stephanie's management, I give a job well done there because it is an area that we as consumers of the product definitely see, uh, which we know then is for the purpose of this report, producing financials, producing revenue. Yeah. I guess the average wrestling fan would probably hear that, or at least the average wrestling fan, at least the, the let's say the average wrestling podcast host, let's, let's limit it to that, would, would hear that and say, well, the egg thing, the egg thing did pop a rating. Let's, we can say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the zombies and the, uh, the Pizza Hut Battle Royal, these were things that were, were, were fans were kind of hit over the head with. And I could say from a viewer perspective that was it, at least the way that they executed it, was it worth it? Did it did it not make the product feel a little bit more plastic, a product that already kind of feels corporate and plastic? Well, and does Brandon, that matter? We have, multiple audi- we have multiple audiences to serve here. Yes. And to your point, are they maximizing revenue with the content they currently put out? You know, this is the area that I think you would go and say, okay, if they had better creative and they created more stars and those stars crossed over more into a wider audience because they were booked properly or because they were really showcased and not, you know, be made to be jokes on, on Monday nights, maybe these integrated brand partnerships could be even more robust, popular in the media, in the, in the advertising community and would net more revenue. And I think that's the line that I would draw between content and these kind of partnerships. Um, you know, the advertisers, the integrated brand partners, they care there's an audience. I think they probably would pay up for a bigger audience than to the degree that that is driven by content and, uh, and by the creative product that then directly links the two. If you had stars who were bigger stars, if you had an audience that was a bigger audience, these partnerships become even more valuable. Uh, I mentioned scratch-off cards, lottery tickets, scratch-off lottery tickets a moment ago. Uh, WWE's gotten into it. They had a deal. They have a deal with DraftKings that if people watched the Royal Rumble, they saw advertised. Uh, WWE has done a couple plays with The Undertaker and with John Cena uh, into the NFT space. We did not see, come to think of it, an NFT offering associated with the Royal Rumble, which we did. The Undertaker was the WrestleMania uh, timing. John Cena was in, in timing with SummerSlam. John Cena was also wrestling at SummerSlam, so that helps. Um, but there was no Royal Rumble NFT. I wonder if they're if they've. I mean, the John Cena NFT did not sell well by John Cena's own admission. <laughs> uh, so I wonder no, if they're done with NFTs it, for now. Well, the quote was that it bombed. Uh, yes. Where they sell thirty-seven of the available NFTs, which I I went back and read my tweet thread on, which I was very critical of WWE's foray into the NFT space because. Um, when you are a bubble or a craze, or let's call it just a craze, not a bubble. NFTs are very popular, and I thought the WWE's approach into the foray, into the into the space, was quite lacking. 
Chain. I think they sold out the Undertaker NFT, so you definitely heard it again on the next Cop Duel, and I don't believe they'll revisit that that as a story for them to tell um, because of the, the lack of success. I think it's a WWE fans, wrestling, Brandon, I'm curious your opinion on this. Wrestling fans have always adapted to tech early. They were on chat rooms in AOL. They were doing message boards before message boards were really popular. They were on the WWE network before streaming was all over the place. The WWE was early in the OTT streaming. So for me to view their uh, experience with NFTs as a, a failure is disappointing because I thought it is a new technology that I do believe will stick around and would appeal to wrestling fans if rolled out the correct way. Yeah. The, the weird thing about NFTs is in in the, the three divisions of WWE's business, which are media, live events, and consumer products, it's it clearly fits into the consumer product space more more so than streaming does, or I, I, w- I would add to the list that you just mentioned, pay-per-view and cable TV that have, that were oh, yeah. kind of re- revolutionary for, for pro wrestling uh, in the eighties. Um, but it, the, the NFT is, is you can make all these analogies to the internet and to pay-per-view and to cable. And those are all advents of media. I don't know how, I don't know how NFTs fit into that and NFTs, have kind of a a culture to them from what I can see as far as there's a, there's a, there's a community associated with a lot of these NFTs, at least the NFTs that have success and that are highly valued. Um, and maybe part of it is a lot of these, the, these NFTs are popular or intriguing because they are really expensive and wrestling fans as a general population are not, known or don't have the reputation of being people who have a lot of money. Um, so maybe but those, they, they are sort of interrupting. They are people that spend money. That's and they've true. been conditioned to spend money for a long time. So I always need, think about that. Interestingly, they need to make an, a, a, a fiend replica belt NFT. And maybe, maybe that's, that's the right uh, Venn diagram that they need to capture that, uh, well, those sales. So I, I do not, I do not buy and sell NFTs. I am not an NFT investor. I know very little about this space other than it is a new form of collectible. It's a new form of engaging consumers. There's functionality that's been assigned to a lot of these NFTs that could enhance consumer engagement. And that's where I was disappointed in the WWE's rollout is that they really just treated it like a trading card. Buy this very expensive item, get a t-shirt, own a collectible. It's not that different than a trading card instead of tapping into the, the underlying value proposition of a new technology, which I do think if, you know, the fan was educated, I think there is a bit of a community amongst wrestling fans that are clearly diehards for uh, uh, items that are rare and items that are collectibles and items that have value beyond um, just, you know, putting it on a shelf. So if it were up to you, how, how would they have rolled out NFTs and made them more attractive? So I'm going to give away a free idea here. For any wrestler that's listening, if you plan on rolling out T-shirts, merch shirts, uh, pro wrestling tees, and you issue an NFT as a uh, benefit, I'm not that owner of the NFT, get every new edition of the shirt. And if they ever sell the NFT, the right to every new shirt goes to the next owner. There are ways to make it more interactive and more of almost think of it as a fan club. 
And there are benefits to the seller of the NFT, the creator of the NFT to keep derived future value from it, which I think would be very uh, interesting for pro wrestlers as of income. And that would be how I would roll it out is something along those lines. I would try to tap into the community building of it. Um, and I just, you know, it, it was something WWE did. Had they not have done this, maybe I would never have thought that this would work in the pro wrestling world. But they did do it. They made it part of the story they told to the investment community on these earnings calls. So they forced me to think about it in terms of how, you know, what could work, what would work, what do I see others do in the NFT space. But to add functionality to it so that it has value to the owner more than a collectible, I think that's first and foremost, which I don't think WWE did. So I, I think the Undertaker NFTs, maybe the John Cena NFTs are similar, but there were WrestleMania tickets, I, th I think, associated with at least one tier of the NFTs. Um, but there wasn't, to my memory, a recurring value like every every T-shirt, every new every new Undertaker T-shirt or every, every new XYZ piece of John Cena merchandise that would make it have this, you know, this, this recurring value. Or when we come to your hometown, you get a meet and greet with John Cena or a talent that's on the roster, something that is um, tangible, that's reoccurring, that then when you, if you ever sell the NFT as they are tradable, would remain intact for the next owner, which would give an owner reason to want to participate in the NFT market um, and therefore, you know, provide residual value to WWE through revenue because there are ways to tap into the transfer of those NFTs and, and to retain value there. On these calls, we've we've not had viewership numbers for Peacock. I don't think NBC wants them sharing that information. Uh, we we do know, according to uh, Comcast's latest earnings report, that Peacock has nine million paid subscribers. That doesn't include the seven million quote unquote highly engaged uh, users who uh, have access to Peacock through their cable subscription, uh, like Comcast or Cox. Um, but we, so we, what we do get from WB and what we've gotten in the past, at least is Nick Khan telling us that Hell in a Cell was up 25% versus the previous year. Backlash was up 26% on, on Peacock. Money in the Bank was up 46% compared to, to the one that took place at W headquarters. Uh, so maybe we'll get more information like that. I imagine you know, Royal Rumble might've done a, a good audience. We might hear about that on Thursday. They tend to speak about the big events on the quarter call um, that follows that event. So they talk about WrestleMania a lot, usually on the Q1 call, despite WrestleMania taking place in Q2. Uh, so I do expect a lot about the Royal Rumble tomorrow. I expect a lot about the events that took place at the Royal Rumble tomorrow, uh, namely who walked out as the champion uh, on uh, you know, women's side. Or I'm sorry, who won the Royal Rumble on the women's side, uh, as well yes. as the men's side? Yes, that that will check the Ronda Rousey box of the bing, of the bingo card. But pay per views, excuse me, premium live events have moved from Sunday to Saturday. I had to stop myself watching uh, Royal Rumble because I'm so used to watching premium live events and having to get up to go to work the next morning. But I was like, no, it's I have another day off. I will say as a consumer, it was a quite enjoyable experience. Uh, another area that I'm uh, very um, bullish on, for, and we'll get into that, but I'm excited for them to do these Saturday events. It definitely had a different feel for it, and it was very nice knowing I could watch it and enjoy myself and not have to go to work the next day. WWE's doing stadium events. They seem to be committed to doing, a state, doing stadium events. This seems like a Nick Khan-driven move that he's – argued is, is is 
at least in, in terms of the Saturdays, they think there's these openings in the calendar, in the sports calendar. Um, I'm not sure how that turned out for for the January 1st day one event, but uh, that that was his argument. I, I, I imagine that there were a lot of college football games then, but but that's that that's what they said that there was an opening in the, in the sports calendar, um, and and they argue that I think part of the argument is that we'll do a big event and. You, you might be more willing to go to this giant stadium event if you can stay the next day on a Sunday in, in whatever town it's in, whether it's Las Vegas or uh, where was the Royal Rumble this year? It was in St. Louis. I don't know. St. Louis? Yeah. St. Louis. And we'll be in Nashville for WrestleMania. Is that right? Right. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. No, not, not, not for Nashville WrestleMania. Is Nashville SummerSlam. is... Yeah, some, and then is Las Vegas Money in the Bank? I think that's what it is at Allegiant Stadium again. Money in the Bank, right, 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 right. Yeah, but I think it, it makes some sense to take their biggest events, and I think they have the selection of events right. Obviously, WrestleMania, and now making that two days, uh, but Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, not Survivor Series. I think that's correct, but Money in the Bank instead. And I think if you look at the the pay per view buys, the best performing what you might call B pay-per-view. So pay-per-views other than WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, which are the top two, and then SummerSlam, which is number three, not followed by Survivor Series. Often Survivor Series on pay-per-view would would perform about as well as any other B pay-per-view. But Money in the Bank, I guess with the high stakes of who's going to win the briefcase and all the attention that that follows, uh, you know, who's who's going to cash in the Money in the Bank and win the title in all likelihood. Um that, that has done really well for them. And uh, so I think that's the right choice if they're going to do a fourth one is to go with Money in the Bank. Do you think they will do four Money in the Banks? No, two Money in the Banks have been traditional, but given the stadium show, would they expand that? Probably not. Feels, um, like, feels like overkill. I, I, it feels I, like overkill, well, but they, I was they, just wondering. This, this company has never been stopped by overkill. Um, but no, I, I think there, I think there'll <laughs> only be two. <laughs> It, well, because watching Royal Rumble on Saturday night, the, the two main matches, the attractions, are long matches. Uh, Money in the Bank ladder match, they're not traditionally super long, so you are just filling the stadium card with a different show. Traditionally, has not been on the level of a WrestleMania card. It will be interesting this year to see if it is on the level of a, uh international event-type card and or a WrestleMania SummerSlam-type card in terms of star power and what they try to do with it. Yes. And uh, this is from the previous call, Q3, November, out moments, minutes before they released something like a dozen wrestlers. Um, Vince McMahon said, what's that? And their CFO. And the CFO was the next morning, but she probably knew in advance. Uh, Vince McMahon said, as you can see, our solid financial results are pretty strong as a result of the global demand of all things WWE, including a return to live event touring, which is unlike any other media company. This is where the WWE brand really comes alive in so many different respects. And as a result of the strong indication, we're going to, we're going to raise our guidance, our 2021 guidance. So they're going to be even more profitable than they thought. Thanks to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Did you see at the time that he said this at the last earnings call, did you see a good cause to raise guidance? I know you had been closer to actuals than a lot of estimates and I believe actuals beat estimates. So I'm curious if you saw a need to raise guidance. I found it to be a bit of a risky thing to do given the nature of the world. 
but they did it and emphatically we're going to raise guidance. Well, I, I think it's, well, I think it's because they, their guides up to that point had been made, you know, a few, at least a few quarters before, well, I probably Q1 or something. I don't know, but whatever the guidance was, it was early in the year of 2021. They still had not returned to touring and probably at that point had not announced when they were going to return to touring. So they didn't know whether they were going to run a Saudi event. And as they're sitting there November 4th, they had run a Saudi event because I believe wow. the Saudi event was in October, right? Or if not in October, it had happened at that mm-hmm. point. Um, and that's $50 million of revenue. And I think there was no no doubt now that they're going to count the the Saudi money uh, in into, what would it be, Q, Q4? It'll be Q4. We'll see, we'll see how that affects the other yeah. media line. So I think that's what it was about. And I think I, as far as my estimate, I, I guess I was baking in one Saudi event for Q4. And, and I, so, so the original guidance, if it did not include the Saudi event, that does make sense that they would then revise it because of that. That's a pretty good lump sum payment or lump sum revenue to recognize in the quarter. Uh, I, I remember thinking at the time, and it makes even more sense now for me in hindsight, just the presumption that live touring would be undisrupted um, in a world of COVID. I think it's fair to say that attendance probably has dropped a bit um, around the holiday tour, which may have been forecast to be very strong given Omicron. So I'm curious to see where they come in tomorrow as we look to the financials here, uh, given that they did raise guidance and the environment did slightly change. But if it was only to account for the Saudi event, that makes sense to me at least. Yeah. I, uh, I think attendance will be well down. I've, I've got, estimated in here do we have it on the slide what my operating income estimate is for the live events division q4 negative 8.4 percent is what i've calculated probably based on the cost of each event on average what i assume that is both in terms of operating expense and marketing and selling expense uh versus what they're generating in terms of ticket sales which we've got some really uh i think good and we got some really good per event estimates coming out from WrestleTix that um, lined up pretty well with the Q3 results. Uh, WB will be reporting paid attendance. Uh, WrestleTix is reporting tickets distributed, which you can just think of think of as it's mostly tickets that are being sold, but it's who knows how many comps are in there. And WrestleTix is not. WrestleTix is having to make a lot of assumptions and estimates about which sections are actually on sale and have already been sold and things like that. So it's not a 100% perfect and accurate system, but it's it's pretty accurate. Um, so I, I assume I take the WrestleTix numbers and I just knock off like 5% for comps. And and that's what I assume is, is paid. And then you sort of multiply in with the average ticket prices, which for most events is $55. Um, but I, I'm estimating that we're going to see another negative operating income quarter for live events. Of course, the business overall will set its profit records uh, in, in, in a, probably all their profit metrics. But but that division, I think, will will lose money again, which is which was becoming the trend just before the pandemic interrupted live events. And when they count uh, average ticket cost, is that based off the paid or distributed? That That I believe that that is based on the, that is the average price of the ticket that is sold. So it's what it's not is it is not the average price of the ticket that is put on sale. And it does not include it in its denominator 
comps, right? It's we sold we sold this many tickets. This was our 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 revenue from from those ticket sales. That's the average ticket price, Um, and it's usually about fifty five dollars. It was higher last quarter. Um, and I, I think they were able to charge more because of heightened demand, pent up demand for the return to touring. Um, and they the, had a, one thing I've noticed, one thing I've noticed that they do a very good job on these earnings calls is that they're able to spin the attendance, not the attendance, the live events business. It is a loss leader for them, but they always have the big tentpole event, whether it's WrestleMania to talk about on the Q1 call or SummerSlam they talked about on the last call. They're going to talk about the Royal Rumble tomorrow. And it really does obfuscate the the live business because you have these big events that are able to be focused and highlighted. Um, and I wonder how many move past those events and look under the hood at the regular house events that are loss leaders and starting to become even bigger loss leaders. I mean, it, w- it was a question in the, the last couple of quarters before the pandemic. Vince promised that they would they understood what was going on. They were going to handle it. They were going to reimagine live events. Um, I don't know what they were going to do. We never got to find out because the pandemic happened. Um, I think may, maybe outsourcing their, their, their live event capabilities is part of that. I don't know that that's even, if that's, if that happens, I don't know that that's something that even necessarily goes under live events. Maybe it does. And, may, and maybe that's their way of adding some profitability to this line that struggles to make a profit. There's always though, the, the question of why are we doing house shows? There's hidden values in house shows. Sure. You're giving people experience. You're marketing the product in a lot of towns, especially smaller market towns that you would never normally go to. Um, you sell Venny merch, but Venny merch doesn't make up for the, for the money that they're losing. Especially if I'm, if I'm in the neighborhood of being right here, they're going to lose $8 million um, on live events in the quarter. Uh, so it's, it's a question. I don't know. I mean, and this, would be a quarter with the, this would be a quarter with the most robust tour being that holiday tour. Yes. So yeah, Q3, there were house shows in Q3, but Q3, they returned to touring in the middle of July. So there, it was not right. a completely full three months of touring. This is a completely full three months of touring. And, uh, but what I, I think I would see if I was looking deeply to attendance and I'm trying to find the, uh, the slide, uh, but you'd see AW did not get to the heights of, in, of attendance in, in the first months of the return to touring in the summer, like WWE did. WWE had some attendances that, that were really strong, say in Houston for oh, the yeah. first, first event back on the road for the SmackDown, uh, for the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, which was, was I believe, the second event back on the road. Uh, they had some really strong attendances, well over 10,000 in July. Uh, so they're, here we go. I am going to put this on screen. So what we see for, so this is all, across all different event types, and this is going to be audio eventually, so I better describe what the numbers are that we're looking at here. Um, so what we see here is, let, let, let's look at house shows. We're in the range of 7,000 in July, 6,000 in August, 6,500 in September, 5,000 in October, just under 5,000 in November, a little bit lower under 5,000 in December. So it's it's a pretty consistent decline. That's house shows. And some of that's, this is not separating out North American house shows from international house shows because they've done a couple UK tours at this point. But it, it, let's say we ignore this month of September where Dynamite tapings did really well. And it's, you know, July 5,000, uh, August 4,500, 4, go to October, over 5,000, November 5,000. December 6,000, 
January five and a half thousand. So it's a much more consistent trend. Dynamite is most of the events that they're doing. Um, they're doing one event at least every week, and usually it's it's a dynamite uh, taping in conjunction with a rampage taping. But uh, I guess the point I was making, if if code is this factor, it's not affecting dynamite in the same way, or dynamite. I mean, I don't I don't, I don't believe this, but or dynamite has just gotten. Uh, a more marketable t- become a more marketable ticket over the course of Omicron. Uh, so I, I guess I think you know there are people who were were probably dissuaded for, to going to events because of concerns about COVID and the rising cases across the country. I am thinking about house shows in that holiday tour compared to TV tapings, which I think are draws, and for WWE as well, a draw to attend the TV taping for sure. Yeah, at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So I'm estimating for an EPS for this quarter, 68 cents, which is well above the average analyst who's estimating 52 cents. I might be higher than the highest analyst. I've, I finally pushed myself to have the discipline to not look at what the, the median or the mean analyst estimate is and just, just do it. Because I changed, I, I looked at the result. I looked at the the other analysts' estimates the one time, and I was like, I, I must be missing something. And I changed, it and I ended up being more right if I would have left it. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, why is my estimate higher than the others? Um, I don't know. Uh, I know the, the you know about a year and a half ago, the analysts did not understand how much money they were saving by being at the performance center. But uh, I was, you know, they they underestimated profitability last quarter too. And I was pretty close. So we'll see what happens. I, Brandon, I, I've told you this offline and not because you're having me here, but I think the work you do and in, in the diligence, the, the due diligence that goes into putting these together, um, I trust your work more than an analyst. Uh, the wrestle ticks, I think, definitely helps shed light on an area that we previously did not have information on. And I think that your understanding of um, the cost associated, like you said a year ago with the, with the or two years ago now with the still reverberating through their company's financials. Yes. Um, and I think we see that every quarter with budget cuts, but I think that a lot of that is at play that you follow more closely than an analyst. The, the revenue is pretty easy to figure out. There's a, a lot less, uh, we're, we're all missing at a lot to a lot lesser degree on revenue. Revenue is a lot easier to figure out. What's harder to figure out are the expenses to figure out, you know how well how much did it cost them because a lot of things that are related to to revenue you can see indicators of in the public whether it's ticket sales or or 
They're, what are they getting for, for TV rights? You can look at their average annual value and, and kind of make some assumptions that are probably going to be pretty close to reality. What's harder to figure out is how much they're spending, let's say, per event um, and how much. So previewing what we may hear about on this upcoming call, um, and I listen to quite a bit of earnings calls or at least the feedback commentary on them, uh, supply chain. Supply chain is like the magic word on every earnings call. Supply chain issues. And uh, I am curious whether or not supply chain will make its way onto the WWE call. Uh, I think at one point I speculated that the rising costs of uh, setup at the arenas and venues would make its way into expenses, though unclear if that is covered by production uh, revenue. Uh, These are things that I'm curious this quarter whether or not we hear about supply chain being a disruptor in causing any setbacks or increasing of expenses. Shall we move to the the big stories to watch for 2022? Sure. Let's do it. Where would you like to begin? With the bulls or the bears? Well, so we can bucket these things into bulls and bears. And uh, more terminology, bulls is the, the, the plus case, the good reason, the good reasons why something will do well. A bull market, everything going up. And the bears are the, you know, the negatives, the things that can detract, uh, the things that will cause for stock to underperform or go down. And uh, where to start? Well, I think obviously the biggest thing is the macro uh, TV rights market, even though I don't believe the TV rights is a story for 2022, as the WWE will not be renegotiating their deals in 2022. But it is the story. And it's the biggest bull story out there. And well, WWE will be renegotiating next day rights, which I imagine there'll be some hype about on Thursday. Um, Yes. Do you expect an announcement? No, I'm not like a, like we've got a deal done announcement. Uh, even just guidance towards we expect to have something announced by the end of Q1, which would be March, end of March. Maybe I don't. I, I'm not confident about when when the deal actually expires. So that would be a big factor of, of, for the timing. Um, I think it expires sometime this year. Could could be. I, I I'm get. It's got to be the back half of this year. Uh, but when I don't know. Um, but I think they're. As I talked about on Sunday, if they if they make a deal with with Netflix or even Amazon Prime or something, and I don't feel like that's likely, but it's not super unlikely. Um, Peacock is probably still the best bet, but there's a lot of good reasons why they might want to make a deal with one of the big tech companies uh, instead. Um, but I think that would really excite the stock if they were able to make a deal with a big tech player. Regardless of what the, what the value really is, I think I think the, you know the mark the stock market would get really excited about. Oh my god, they made a deal with Netflix. I listened to you say that on Sunday, and I tend to agree. Um, I, I the company the company was excited, and we can look at the chart from last year. They were excited when the Peacock deal was announced. It sold off upon the you know you buy the rumor, sell the news. It sold off after it went live. But it did pop when it was announced. And I think that kind of excitement uh, is definitely, you know, would provide a, a very good bull case for the stock to to make a bit of a rally, uh, coupled with some other exciting announcements or good results. And maybe the Royal Rumble. Rumble success and and we're back to international events. So I agree with you that news of that kind of partnership would definitely be very, very favorable. And, and I think it would 
shed optimism on this notion that Nick Khan alludes to that, look, the fangs are going to, are going to bid for sports rights and Amazon, Amazon has NFL. Maybe they're They have a number of international sports rights. Uh, there's talk. I think that Apple might be interested in NFL Sunday ticket. Um, I don't see Apple going after W content. Not, not, not anytime in the next few years. Um, but I think maybe Do you want to spend deal- a minute on the macro landscape of the streaming players. Yeah. Um, I have a I have a theory that a lot of the top fang names are saving dry powder for when some of the upstarts uh, spend it all. So right now we're seeing a massive deployment of capital to acquire content, to develop content, to attract growth, uh, subscriber growth. And uh, the companies like an Amazon, companies like an Apple, I think are picking their spots very wisely without wasting a lot of money because they recognize that the growth may not be sustainable for the Peacocks or the Viacoms. Um, We'll see about Warner Discovery when they merge, but that they will be available with plenty of cash to deploy for uh, what is, you know, what becomes of the streaming landscape in a year or two uh, when we see what, you know, the the first few years of investment have proven for Peacock and Paramount Plus and Fubo and a bunch of these other uh, streaming platforms that have come to market in the last two years. So you say they're they're the Amazons, the Apples, maybe the Netflix. They're sort of standing back from the really expensive stuff like sports rights, which is the most expensive stuff, especially if we're talking about the, the top sports leagues like the NFL, NBA. Let let I get and I I guess those those deals are done, but there's other content too, right? Right. right. And let 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 Peacock, let NBCU spend a bunch of money or whoever else wants to get into this game, let, let them spend a bunch of money. We're not going to get involved in that competition and overpay for content. Let, let, let their businesses sort of, sort of fail when they have to rebundle or merge or whatever it is. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll benefit from our patients. If, if a few slides back, I had listed um, the craze, the, the story of the crazes, and this is what is happening in the gambling space, the marketing spend and the cost to acquire participants on the mobile gambling apps is exuberant. I mean, just outrageous. I think there was a way in which I could have gone to New York and made $5,000 without ever placing a bet because they give free money. Yes. However, you, you listen to the that podcast too. Forever. <laughs> that can't last forever. And the thought is those who are strategic and smart about deployment of capital will ultimately win in the long run. And I could see that. I, I think that is what is developing with Apple and Amazon. Netflix has to spend because that is their business. Apple and Amazon, their business is not streaming. Netflix is the streamer. Netflix is fighting off challengers right now. So they have to keep up their spend, but that's their model. And I think that that is where the the next TV rights, not the, not the re-air rights, I think that's where these fan companies may be positioned to come in not just for WWE, but for a lot of the sports company, sports TV rights that have recently been done over the last year or so. They'll come in to bid for W content when the US For all content, but live sports content in specific, like in particular, like you said. The further development of media right of the media rights environment. I think that's, I think that's, that's a real area of opportunity for them, especially internationally. I mean, they've dealt it in, in the U S um, <laughs> I don't know what's happening in the UK. I don't, I don't know enough about all these uh, international streaming markets and how, how how much of a demand there is for their kind of content. But uh, what what's happening, and how much some of these 
deals that already exist, like Sony Live in India, that's distributing the W Network already. That sounds like they've already made a deal there, maybe, or the or Rogers. You have to be. I understand you have to be a subscriber through Rogers to get access to the W Network. Um, but there's maybe still things to do along the lines of this Disney Hot Star deal that I would have never really imagined. I, I think more than anything in 2022, the story to watch, and I think what Nick Khan will speak about is like he has in the previous year, the development of the rights landscape and the growing rights fees out there. But it'll be smaller things that might trickle in this year, as you said, you know, international. Um, but overall, it's the biggest bull. It's the biggest bull story for the company is that everything is predicated on the next TV rights deal. And that means a that requires a healthy macro you know, TV media rights landscape. Um, and, I, and I think sort of along the lines of what I was talking about Sunday, um, I, I don't see making a deal at Disney. It's not a signal that like, oh, they're going to sell next day rights to, to Disney. They're certainly not going to put it on Disney Plus, but I guess it's it's not out of the question that they would sell to, to ESPN Plus or obviously Hulu is, is the current partner. Um, but it, But the more that they can make all of these different relationships with all of these different media companies and streaming platforms, it's probably beneficial to them because it just gets them closer to getting all those companies to take real interest in the most valuable piece, which is the, is the live raw and SmackDown. I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just being affiliated is great from a, um, Again, if your audience is an investor base and you see they have partnerships with a bunch of the different platforms, that's good. And from a consumer standpoint, I think you know fans reacted to the Disney news. I think people were, I think that was received positively, though maybe misunderstood. But you know, I think yes. that's good. Yes, I've, I've I've gone on my app to to look for W content on Disney Plus, didn't find any. Um, <laughs> consolidation in media and content. What do you mean by that? Uh, whether or not what we see are Warner Media, uh, Warner Discovery consolidating uh, that was already known whether or not there are more of those uh what becomes of the tubies and the fubos of the world and whether or not um there's consolidation and what that means for wwe in terms of who their potential partners may be and as and not, not just consolidation but spin out as well um whether or not it makes sense to break up some existing companies that have streaming platforms that would be better suited to be a standalone company and does that provide opportunity or does that provide a, um, that makes it harder to do business with such an entity? And, and as those chips all settle, as everything settles down, then maybe there's companies that are better suited to, to buy W content, I guess. To buy WWE content, to buy WWE, <laughs> to buy a piece of WWE. Mm -hmm. um, you look at something like the Ringer Simmons uh, podcast network was acquired by Spotify. So that consolidation, you know, yes, I think there was always a working relationship between Bill Simmons and WWE. We saw them partner on the Andre documentary, but now working with Bill Simmons and the Ringer and Spotify probably opens up the treasure chest even bigger to who you can reach out to, what you can do. And I think that kind of, the, that we are not done seeing the shakeout of content providers, consolidation, what the gambling companies may do, and that will impact the sports media content. Uh, I think that becomes a story, again, similar to the rights deal where it may not be directly impactful, but it will shape the market for when they are ready to negotiate that next TV deal. Is, is there, like, obviously they, they've made a deal with DraftKings and I haven't, tried to play whatever 
the the, the rumble pool is is what they were advertising on Saturday. I imagine that that's I mean it's advertised as it's free to enter and maybe you win twenty five thousand dollars or something like that. But it but there's no betting that DraftKings is doing on WWE events on same on match finishes is my understanding. If I'm if, if I'm right about that, I mean is it you are correct on that, Brandon. It is it is on the fantasy site, the fantasy app, not on the sports book app. Yeah. And and the advantage are, for, to DraftKings is we, we get get more users in, in this platform than than they spend money elsewhere and maybe make sports bets. But is it is it out of the question or is there some reason why somebody like DraftKings or whoever doesn't want to take take bets on fixed wrestling? Is is that the issue? Because there's obviously people for decades who have, and they're mostly like outside the U.S. <laughs> there's a very there's a very good reason, and it's called the regulations in each of these states that they must go before and get approval. Uh, and okay. I don't think that they are going to uh, be looking favorably at a sports book taking bets on a entertainment product like WWE that is predetermined or okay. presumed to be. Okay. Um, reemergence of the megastar. Do we do we have the next uh, Rock coming soon? The next Stone Cold Steve Austin. The next John. No, nope, but we do have Ronda Rousey and Brock Lesnar as the Royal Rumble winners. It is the road to WrestleMania. They will be front and center. Uh, this is very reminiscent of 2018, which was what I would consider the peak WWE year on the corporate side. And all the press and adulation they were receiving from Variety and The Hollywood Reporter, very focused on bringing in big name brands and ultimately landing the deals with Fox, uh, which I think Ronda was a big part of. So, you know, I think that speaks for itself. Yeah, that uh, adds to her case for the uh, Observer Hall of Fame. Uh, But there is the story of, I I think it's just described in The Hollywood Reporter story or something when the the deals were made or when the Fox and SmackDown deal was made that as they're having the meeting, they've got uh, that, that picture of, of Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania with uh, triple H on her back. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was, you got the impression from reading those media stories that part of the reason why Fox was interested was in part because of Ronda Rousey or maybe Brock Lesnar. Um, although after the deals were made, I don't know that Ronda Rousey has appeared very much at all on SmackDown. Um, I guess we could, this is, beyond 2022, but W, uh, I imagine we'll hear quite a bit about the name image and likeness. No, that's not what it stands for. Next in line, the next in line talent development program where they're, uh, signing people under the name image and likeness policy, uh, college athletes. Yes. You pop me. You pop me. <laughs> um, so I imagine we'll hear that celebrated and highlighted. Um, as far as talent development, well, I don't know. And you do have Gable Stevenson. True. Um, we will see if there are any other big recruits out there that might have brand recognition, name value. I'm sorry, name recognition, brand value. Um, I don't know. Do you do you think they are in the business, or do you think they want the next big superstar, megastar? Yes. They're all superstars, but megastars are what we're talking about. Yes, I mean. Vince McMahon spent a lot of time and energy and a lot of, I don't know, opportunity cost pushing Roman Reigns from 2015 and really before that onward. Um, I don't think he did it because he only wanted him to be a star to a certain point. I think he wanted him to be the biggest star that he could possibly make. Um, I think 
he's still prioritized as Reigns is still prioritized as, as their top full-time star. Lesnar is really highly prioritized too. He's uh, he's an infrequent star, but he's Vince's security blanket that he turns to in times of uncertainty. Um, and he books him with a lot of respect, but I think Vince views much of the other talent as he can't really trust and put his, you know, put his investment in and get behind beyond more than a few weeks. Um, but we'll see what the NIL program turns out for them. I ha- had a moment of watching that men's Royal rumble though, um, which was getting pretty bleak uh, for a while and, and feeling like, wow, this is, I'm, and we're getting a taste of the future here where we have a lot of tall people, a lot of people who are probably have really strong athletic backgrounds, uh, but they're not necessarily over and tremendous wrestling stars. And I wonder if we'll see if, if the, if the NIL program continues to develop and WWE sticks with this idea of not valuing people who have wrestling experience as much as they have in the past, which is something that Vince has clearly become dissatisfied with, with the talent that's been promoted to the main roster from NXT from Paul of X world. Um, but if, if that's the policy and the the vision that continues and, and develops even more so than it, than it already is. Um, I don't know if WWE is going to be well positioned to have valuable stars in the future as much as they could, could be. It feels like a strategy to not have too many people that are bigger than the WWE that ever reach that point where they don't need the WWE. I think that's something people point to with The Rock. Something people point to with John Cena. Um, Roman Reigns, you know, I, I think about it, the law of diminishing returns. You can put all your focus and investment into building that next guy, whether it was Cena after The Rock or Roman after Cena. But it does feel like there's a diminishing return each time that you take that approach. It takes longer for that person to get there. Less people believe that person to be that um, kind of a figure. Roman really didn't hit that stride until quite recently, I'd say. Um, maybe till after he came back from his hiatus at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Character change, Paul Heyman. And I wonder if it wouldn't behoove the company to focus on really trying to cultivate I don't want to say megastar, but something of a tier between the megastar and the average superstar so that they can approach business partners and engage fans in a more meaningful way that could enhance their revenue opportunity. I think about a Big E, for example, and that is somebody that while maybe he would not be positioned like a Roman, probably shouldn't be positioned like name your next entry in the Royal Rumble. He should feel like he connects more with the fans. And I think that there would be a lot more business opportunity available to the company with a character that was protected and celebrated uh, and not just kind of run through the same old, um, you know, the process of go up and go down and go up and go down. And I feel like that strategy has not always benefited the company um, the way it could or, or the way that they should approach it. Yeah. Your solution sounds like it would take some long-term planning that shouldn't be that hard. Take some discipline that shouldn't be that hard to apply. But uh, W product over the last several years has taught me that they're not capable of, of achieving that. Uh, but yeah. Uh, a new investor relations team and the W yeah, we, performance. We talked about that. Um, I, I think it's an opportunity. I don't know that it's going to be that meaningful as you had outlined earlier. Uh, 
the stadiums and Saturdays, I think we talked about, and I think it's a, it's a way to drive more revenue on these peak of peak events. Um, and on the bear side at the very top, the man himself, it's a man. Oh, I, I, uh, no. is he a bull? Is he a bear? It could be both. Um, I, I didn't intend for this to be in the bear side. And I wonder oh. if, um, we're going to get a focus on Vince McMahon in 2022. And when that Netflix documentary comes out and will he be celebrated as a great American business story? Um, and it could be quite the PR campaign, which could bring a lot of attention to WWE and could be a very good thing in eyeballs and, and media coverage, mainstream media coverage. Um, the, the limited I don't know, is that, series is supposed to come out yeah. too. Do you know when it'll come out? No, I don't think there, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's, it's an idea. I don't know that they've, I highly doubt that they've started shooting it. It may never even happen. Who knows? Um, but it's it's an idea. Uh, maybe there's a script. I don't know. The, um, the one being worked on with Bill Simmons. I'm sorry. The one being worked on with Bill Simmons. The Netflix documentary. I don't know when that yes, comes yes, out, yes. but but I I believe that will come out. Yeah, I don't know if it'll come out this year. I, I don't know. Um, okay. There's also a biography. Yeah, I'm speculating. That, sorry. There's there's also a an independent biography that will come out at some point. Uh, that's being written now about uh, Vince McMahon by Abraham Raceman. Uh, that's been reported. Um, so, and the trial, the the trial series, the limited scripted sc- series would be on the trial. Oh, that's the one you were unsure that that will actually be. Yes, produced. Okay, after after, see, after, after seeing the uh, the Dark Side of the Ring episode. Uh, I, I think actually the star should be Jerry McDivitt of that limited scripted series. It should, it should be, be, be about the, uh, the, uh, the close friendship between Physic Man and Jerry McDivitt and their unbreakable bond. Um, the live event business. We, we talked quite a bit about the live event business. Um, the competition for the wrestling fan. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we can, I will, we'll say the joke that the, you know, AEW is not competition, but I, I think, even WWE's own behavior at this point suggests that it is. They view them as competition. Yeah. And, you know, I, the wrestling fan. Is the wrestling fan who the WWE is trying to track? Do they care anymore to retain the wrestling fan? Or might they have punted on the idea of the, we're not wrestling. We are clearly targets of a wrestling fan. And other promotions have had success targeting wrestling fans. And I say wrestling with purpose there because it's not WWE fans or sports entertainment fans, but it is a large part of the audience that watches and consumes WWE. So I think that is a story to watch as we did very closely with the ratings, but not just the ratings. I think it's curious business partners and advertisers recognize that there has been a shift of where this audience is and um, whether or not we see more developments with AEW's business relationships would then be a story for wwe i mean i've I've written a lot of times over the last few years that there's kind of two audiences and not 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 two audiences in the way that we were talking about earlier where there's this sort of investment audience and this wrestling fan audience but there's kind of two audiences within the 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 public the consumer of of wwe over the last seven years or so and that's been it's been evident in in the the compelling meta story around Roman Reigns, I think over the last five or seven years. Um, But it's something that's really emerged since roughly 2014, 15. You see it manifest in 
the rise of NXT as sort of a, a, a self-contained alternative to main roster WWE. We saw it in the relative success on a global level of New Japan, of Ring of Honor around the same time in 2016. Uh, that kind of cooled off. And ultimately, a an opportunity was there for AEW to be created because Tony Khan saw these great TV deals that WWE just made. And among among other necessary conditions, including money and business connections, uh, w- was able to get a TV deal with Turner. Um, be, and and there's this wrestling fan or this this section of of the public that wants to like something that's like WWE, but isn't satisfied by what WWE produces on at least on the highest level. Um, and they're hungry for an alternative, and. WWE at the same time, you know, languages itself as not wrestling. Vince instills that. And I'm starting to get the sense from watching the TV to the limited extent that I can bear to that the crowds and they're sweetening it too. But I think even besides that, the crowds do seem more compliant (laughs) so that maybe, you know, in this sort of return to touring post return to touring time that, um, the people who used to give the unintended reactions are not going to the shows as much anymore. I mean, people did boo the end of that Reigns and Seth Rollins match with the DQ finish, uh, but there isn't as vociferous a rejection of the creative decisions so far like there used to be. Finally getting to the point is that there's been kind of this bifurcation of there's more and more a strictly WWE fan and more and more a strictly wrestling fan who takes it on as a sort of preconceived notion that, yeah, WWE doesn't give me what I want, and I have to explore wrestling elsewhere if I want to be a satisfied wrestling fan. Um, and the, 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 the chances that I've given WWE are, have expired. <laughs> uh, do they want to appeal to that sort of fan? I, I don't know. I mean... I mean, I think most of the people in, I think a lot of people in WWE would probably agree that, um, and I mean, like talent employees would probably agree that WWE could do a lot more to appeal to a broader consumer base that would include wrestling fans. Um, But sort of the story of Vince's life is trying to transcend and pivot away from wrestling, whether whether that was bodybuilding or football or restaurant businesses or the XFL, which I just said, but um I mean, twice, I, I you think can say it twice, twice, I guess this is very true, <laughs> but I, th- I think Vince would tell you that there aren't, you know, he, he might tell you that there aren't wrestling fans. There's, there's just, there's just people. And we want, I want to appeal to the broadest possible population. And he thinks that the creative vision that he has is, is the way to do that. I think that's the way to appeal to himself, but he would say that, that, that audience over there, that maybe AW is appealing to more. So is a vocal minority and there's not as much opportunity there. I think you could appeal to, I hesitate to make this. This this sort of binary distinction between casual fan and, and hardcore fan because I think it's really misleading in a lot of ways. But I think there's a way to appeal to a wider audience where you still captivate the captive fans that you do have, the WWE diehards who tweet me Roman Reigns gifts, and to appeal to people who are currently captivated by AEW more so than they are WWE. I don't think that I, I reject this notion that Vince seems to take for granted that you can't possibly 
satisfy both these audiences at once. You can't satisfy both of those audiences and events at once. That you can't do, but you can satisfy both of them at once. There's there's a concept in business and especially in uh, entrepreneurship, founders uh, think about it all the time, product, market, fit. And does the product have a market and is there a fit? And it requires understanding your consumer base and knowing what they want and then appealing to what they want. And the reason that startups and founders often think about these product market fits is because they have to be able to generate revenue by appealing to an audience that will pay them for it. Historically, wrestling has appealed to a wrestling audience. Can look back and pick out points in time where it maybe did more over-index or under-index. Um, the, the distinction of a casual fan today, uh, I'll share a personal antidote. I have a buddy who would never watch anything other than WWE and AEW comes along and they add more people he's familiar with. And that casual fan becomes an AEW fan and is disappointed in the way that WWE books their favorite character, Big E, over the course of the last few months. And I think that that fan to me, and it's a friend of mine, and I think about them as a the intersection between somebody that's interested in watching good wrestling television or good sports entertainment television and somebody who is just observing WWE for its brand brand power because they remember WWE from when they were a kid because they watch Monday Night Raw, because Monday Night Raw is institutional. It's on Monday nights, USA Network, forever. And that is going to be the battle that I think plays out over the next year, year and a half, two years, as we head into the next TV rights deals, is what audience is the right product market fit. And I think the companies will be, I think WWE will not, they will not be hurt for not identifying it, but I think AEW will be rewarded for identifying it And then to the degree that AEW can prove that there are other business opportunities out there from identifying it will be, um, you know, an interesting development in the industry. To date, there has only been one company to go to for business opportunities or business partnerships in the world of sports entertainment or pro wrestling. And now we're seeing a second emerge and they're growing an audience. And if other opportunities start going their way, because that audience is something that advertisers want to reach. And at the end of the day, these are companies that deliver an audience for advertisers. Um, at, you know, to, to an to speaking about audiences, they deliver an, an audience. So what is that audience is comprised of and how well are they um, suited to capture a consistent audience, not one made up of random demos and the, the demos that you get into, Brandon. I always think like, well, there's no consistency there. How do you sell that to an advertiser? How do you sell that to a partner that you're going to say, we're going to deliver you a million fans that are interested in XYZ and have, you know, similar viewing habits and similar spending habits. And, you know, that's usually what you get from a product like pro wrestling is similarities in an audience being delivered to an advertiser. At least the way I've always thought about it, you may know more or have better insights. No, I, I, I think that's something that's emerging. And I think WWE notices that that's emerging. And part of their response to that is to put some effort into public relations to frame AEW as, you know, violent and not attractive to to advertisers. Um, we see that in in WWE media relations was willing to make a, a statement to the Toronto Star a few weeks ago and 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 point out that on December thirty first on Rampage they they had a tag match between between women who who were bleeding and there was gore and, and blood and things of that nature. Um, that's that's a response. Um, 
is is AEW having real issues with its advertisers? It's not clear to me. Uh, maybe that's something that we'll learn about in uh, in the months to come, uh, or you know, around the time. If if that's an issue with their ability to, to negotiate favorably, uh, their their next round of TV rights, uh, we'll see. Um, three more issues, maybe to touch on, and, um, and we'll we'll wrap this up. Uh, talent, new, existing. We did talk about the NIL, but existing cuts and sentiment. To the degree, talent is an audience, and sentiment. You know, we see with uh, Mustafa Ali looking to exit the company, others leaving the company. Um, certainly, at NXT, the the departure of William Regal seems to have reverberated and will change culture. And companies that undergo those kind of cultural shifts, um, usually, you see you see a development happen with the type of people that want to go work there, the type of people that do still work there. I think it's going to definitely play out. I. I would be shocked if 2022 isn't the year that there becomes some kind of policy around talent um, because I don't think WWE can keep doing these cuts unless the policy is, is that it is kind of a revolving door. And maybe that is the unofficial policy is that a WWE contract is not guaranteed. It is in place for as long as they say it is in place or ends upon expiration, but there seems to be a lot of in and out um, and rotating, rotating revolving door. And, and as far as, talent as an audience or how how talent views WWE, a, a lot of the narrative that we've seen for years has been there's an attraction from wrestlers to go to WWE because it's, it's by far the biggest wrestling company in the world, still today, by far. Uh, and pe- and people want have grown up watching wrestling on TV and they want to main event WrestleMania and so forth. Um, and I think we're starting to see, and if WWE continues to be the way that it is in many ways. We're going to continue to see more so fewer wrestlers who see that as a either a realistic goal or a desirable goal. If WWE is not going to value wrestlers who have wrestling experience outside of WWE, um, and the only way to start to become a wrestler is to either have a, an excellent athletic background and maybe they'll sign you. I mean, it, do, it does appear that they're going to continue to do performance center tryouts and sign people with wrestling talent. So, so maybe the door is not completely shut, but it's gotten more narrow and there isn't a lot of evidence. If I'm an indie wrestler, which I am an inactive indie wrestler, (laughs) there isn't a lot of evidence that, that Vince is going to see talent in, in me, an indie wrestler and invest in that talent. And I'm going to have a lot of upward mobility in his company. Um, So the, the wrestlers who develop, outside of WWE are, I think are going to increasingly not see WWE as a desirable, um, as a desirable destination forever that's worth. And, and if they're, they're sort of going to, going to preemptively reject them, I think, uh, first so that, you know, you, 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 you know, you, you didn't quit, you're fired, but, uh, you know, I think, I think that's, what's going and, to develop. And I, I said policy, I don't mean policy, like a formal, this is how we handle talent. I mean, better said a strategy, a clearer strategy. I have speculated that with Al and the cuts they've made, they're looking to cheapen their talent source. They're looking to spend less on talent. Um, I've called this devaluing the professional wrestler. If we are the biggest company and we are paying X, then the overall rate for professional wrestlers is going to be somewhere lower than it was because WWE sets that market. I could see them in these earnings calls, 
highlighting their ability to find efficiencies in the talent pool and who they bring in through the NIL and other means of recruitment, not spending on um, and Carl Anderson or Luke Gallows and, and paying over above and beyond for a name uh, or, or a recognizable star from the past. So I, I, that is something that I am looking for as a story in 2022. And I, you know, from a, from the company standpoint, a bit bullish, we can cheaper our input costs. And from a fan standpoint or, or an observer standpoint, I don't, it's not anything anyone wants to say. Um, I'm not rooting for it, but it, it well, seems to be apparent. So, so what would that look like? Are you, are you envisioning them using talent sort of the way that wrestlers are used on AW Dark, where there's more talent being used who's not under contract? Not under, not, not under contract, but I don't think the value of a WWE contract is what it was. I have made the joke before that, you know, Kevin Owens still be signed by the end of 2022. And I say that facetiously, but, you know, it is a fair question, I think whether or not talent that are signing longer-term contracts see those contracts come to a conclusion or whether or not the company says we can pivot much more quickly now. This star seems to have diminished returns and we don't have creative for them. Okay, let's just cut the cost. And maybe we'll offer them a contract back later on if we find the need for them. Um, but I don't know that they value the duration of those contracts any longer. Um, mm-hmm. I think they are in place as a, a, you know, a protocol. Yeah, because I, 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 I don't see. There's no no cuts on them. There's... Yeah, it's it's a it's a contract for for WWE to to, to decide. Uh, they they can have you if they want you or cut you anytime they want. Uh, which is and the nature we... of those contracts. Ratings. You have thoughts under the bear column on ratings. There's a trend. Um, I've said this before with you and in, on on Twitter. Someday they will trend below a million if the trend continues. It's not a guarantee. It's just a trend. And you look a long range at the viewership and you look at the cable subscribers and the bundle buyers and, um, you know, just negative trend. It's not great. Uh, what does it mean? Could be interpreted many different directions. And you've done a great job of outlining the different stuff that goes into those ratings and subscriptions to cable and the bundle and attrition and the 50 plus demo, never cutting cable. Yes. But it, it is something that. Yeah, so I don't think it could be viewed positively by anybody that ratings go down. Right. I mean, ratings are down, and W will tell you that all TV is down. Linear TV is down generally, which is true. They'll they'll tell you, and Nikon has, has said at least once on an earnings call that we don't believe that we've lost eyeballs. We believe that linear eyeballs have converted to digital eyeballs. Whatever that means. I mean, if we're talking about YouTube, YouTube is being monetized at about a frack at, at something like one fourteenth of the rate that, that their linear TV is being uh, monetized. If we, if we break it down into, into like units of viewing time. Um, but you know, the, the, the value of a program to a network and the networks are the ones who are paying the content creator, which is WB. The value is determined by among other things, perhaps the audience that it delivers, the ad rates that it's able to generate and perhaps the the synergies and its ability, the, that program's ability to drive programming to other programming on that network. And that's why we see NXT still has a place in the USA network, even though I'm not sure that it's drawing an audience that justifies an eight o'clock primetime slot in the USA network. That's why we see Chucky 
promoted on, on NXT, uh, which is the USA Network program or was. Uh, and that's why we see Miz and Mrs. Uh, on the USA Network. Um, but its ratings have been down, I think, every, every year for a number of years in a row. In some years, it has declined worse than the rate of at least one measure of television overall, which is a, a measure that I've used, which are the Showbiz Daily Top 50 non-news. I exclude news because news has held up better over time. But in 2019 and 2020, Raw did decline worse than the rate of the Top 50 non-news cable originals. Um, 2020 was the year of the pandemic. They had no live audience there. But 2019, there's no excuse. Um, in 2021, Raw declined, but Raw did not decline worse than the rate of the top 50 non-news cable programs. Um, over the course of all of this time, though, at least going back to 2016, Raw's rank, among other programs in 18 to 49, has not declined. Um, if anything, it's strengthened a little bit. And the best that I can tell... Uh, and I would love to talk to somebody who's actually made TV deals to see if they think this holds water. That the most of the value in television is among those programs that on a given day finish in the top 10 in 18 to 49. It's, it's a really exponential shaped curve. Um, you get below top 10, you're, you're, there isn't a lot of differentiation. Um, I've, I've, I have charts that I've, that I've put on into slides in the past. Um, I'm working on the, uh, the annual report, finishing it this week. And there, there will be charts that, that resemble this. It's a, it's a really exponential, uh, line so that I think if you're in the top five, you're pretty valuable. If you're in the top 10, maybe you're valuable. Uh, raw is definitely in the top five SmackDown with the benefit of being on Fox is in the top five. If it was on cable, it would probably still be in the top five. Um, Dynamite is just in there in the top five. Rampage is on 10. It's not not really in an advantage, advantageous place to do that, but maybe it has, it's, sh it's showing the potential that it could be if it was in a better time slot. So I think those those properties, Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, maybe Rampage is, is at least a, a support program to Dynamite. Those programs have value. NXT, not so much. Um, and I think as long as those things stay true, that those programs continue to perform as well as they do relative to other programming generally in the demo, 18 to 49, that along with other factors, including keeping their ad rates at least as strong as they are now and continuing to be a good partner to their networks, I think they're in a really good position to uh, to continue to grow their media rights values um, because other sports properties have grown their media rights values recently in, in the most recent deals that have been done. The NFL grew by, I think, 1.7x. Um, NBA, I think, more than doubled their TV rights values. Baseball grew their, didn't double, but just under. Maybe it's only a 1.1x increase for, for Major League Baseball. Um, NHL got a big increase, uh, making deals with Turner and ESPN. Premier League more than doubled its, its TV rights, almost tripled. Um, and wrestling, not as prestigious perhaps as NHL or the Premier League, may not be able to deliver the kind of ad rates that those programs do. I don't know one way or the other, but that would be my guess. Uh, but they deliver better ratings, both Raw, SmackDown, all of Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, uh, deliver better ratings than a typical 
NHL game, a typical um, Premier League game. NHL, there's a like-to-like comparison right now every Wednesday night on TNT. Uh, NHL is not putting up the numbers that Dynamite did. Um, so I think there's there's good reason to believe it's it's still obviously a long ways away, year, year and a half, two years away before they make these deals. But I think they're in, in good positions to get strong upgrades. Yeah, it's why, while I don't believe the story of 2022, because deals are a few years away, the macro environment and the continuation of those trends you described is every bit as important to this company as anything else they'll do. Um, that environment continuing to be healthy and whether or not there's any um, contraction in the spend for TV rights um, with any kind of macroeconomic concerns that might be on the horizon. Um, you may hear of interest rates being risen, being you know brought up, rising interest rates, and whether or not the cost of capital, which these companies need to invest, is going to rise, and then what that looks like for return of investment on that investment. All these things are yet to be seen, and I think will play out um, over the next year. We'll then create a different environment for WWE, one that resembles the one today, very good. One that looks a little bit more rocky, where companies are a little bit more hesitant to spend, then perhaps that changes things. Um, we obviously can't predict the future, but keeping an eye on that macro environment is uh, very key for WWE. And and what you're talking about there is, let's say, for example, interest rates rise. That would make a company like NBC Universal. It would make it make it more difficult for NBC Universal to find the money to to give WWE an upgrade? It, it would not make it more difficult, but you can think about interest rates rising as the cost of capital more expensive. You have a, let's say, capital ex- capital expenditures, and you have ways to finance that, and the financing will be more expensive because interest rates have gone up, and therefore do you think about spending the same amount you would have otherwise spent if interest rates were down. So if you plan on spending 500 Hundred million with very low interest rates. Do you want to spend five hundred million when you're going to have to pay three percent interest or four percent interest or five percent or whatever it may be? So it really has to do with the financing, and I believe that the, that will then pre- present itself in the form of spend because typically what goes down would be capex or capital expenditures, the investments being made. And a company like NBC, it's very interesting. NBCU, they are committed to spending more. This is an investment they think is worthwhile in content for Peacock. That's very good. Does a change in environment a year from now change their tune? Does it all of a sudden become too cost prohibitive to spend hundreds of millions of dollars and just burning cash because the financing is harder to come by? And I think that's a much, much, much more macro story, an envir- an economic story that the entire market, not just WWE, but all companies are going to experience over the next year. We know the Fed is going to raise rates. And we just don't know how that will impact the old yet. Um, I'm not an expert to speak about it, but I'm aware enough to know that this may change the environment that WWE enters for when it's time to negotiate future rights with companies and what they're willing to spend. Uh, this kind of lends into my thought that Apple, which has more money than God, will be able to spend whatever it wants in the future. Amazon will be able to spend whatever it wants in the future because their core businesses are not reliant on the content that they are acquiring today when it is easy to spend and, and to finance all the uh, streaming, the streaming set. So anything else to add? 
We've covered a lot. Um, a I always lot. look forward to Q4. I always look forward to Q4 earnings calls because it is the full year as well. And, um, you know, it was a great exercise to go back and revisit all the different stories that they were selling the community, selling the investment community, selling their audiences over the course of the last year and seeing how it, you know, tomorrow we'll get, or not tomorrow, this upcoming call, we will get the full results, which yes. uh, I will be excited for. Yes, it'll be a busy day for me. It's uh, one of these busy times that it's like it's busy and it's a little bit stressful, but I, I, I do really enjoy it. Um, that's kind of what every afternoon, a lot of afternoons at four o'clock are for me lately with, the, with all the ratings. But um, but thank you very much, MJ from NJ, for, for joining us. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? No, just your great work. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been a long-time long listener and uh, – Love getting to know you more and getting to share more of my thoughts with you as we've started to talk in the background and just keep it up. It's, I believe you're providing a great service, not just for the pro wrestling uh, community, but for the media world as well. Yes. It's um, the depth that we've gone into here and the depth that you challenged me to go into here is, uh, is really appreciated. It's, it's one thing to, you know, look at all these documents and, and learn things, you know, through, through reading the text and, and things like that. But uh, to, to talk to somebody who knows more about this stuff than I do and challenges me to understand new terms and new dynamics in, in the wrestling business is, is really important. So, so thanks again for joining us. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. I will see you, I don't know, I'll see you definitely by Friday. I'll be joining John Pollock of Post Wrestling for the uh, 1 o'clock daily news update where we will talk about the fallout of WWE Q4, the earnings report. Talk to you next time. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.